0: Exodus chapter 40. Last week we started our uh, first of two sermons, wrapping up our time in Exodus. Um, and I and I and, and, and I want to take, I wanted to take a few weeks rather, just to kind of cover some of the key themes, some of the high themes from Exodus. And, and as we mentioned last week, those primary themes were themes about God, because any book of the Bible is first and foremost a book about God, right? And so, and so last week we traced the threads through Exodus that shows us our God as a deliverer and our God as, as sovereign, all right? And this week what we, what we want to do is we want to turn our attention to two more themes that run through the text and, and find shadows of these themes And we find shadows of these themes that run through the text in the very last chapter of Exodus, all right? All right? So look at Exodus chapter 40. We're going to look at verses 34 through 38. And it says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night. And in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. May the Lord add a blessing to the readers, hearers, and doers of his holy and and infallible word. Um, it is only fitting for me that the last word we get from Exodus is about the glory of the Lord covering the 10th meeting and filling the tabernacle. You know, as we discussed a few weeks ago, the, the glory of the Lord is the perfect and divine um, communication of all of God's other attributes. In other words, not the glory of the Lord signifies that not only is God holy, but God is exceedingly and excellently and perfectly holy. And not only is God loving, but God is exceedingly and excellently and perfectly loving. However, it is also fitting that this last word that we received from Exodus, being the of. Uh, focused and centered on the glory of the Lord. It's fitting that this is all, that this is the last word because easily one of the most memorable moments in all of Exodus is a moment about God's glory. Remember in Exodus 33, Moses begs God, please, pleads with God, God, show me your glory. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to close our time in Exodus by looking back at that passage and pulling out of that passage some of the lessons learned. Again, we're talking about threads that run through Exodus and themes that run through Exodus. And I believe there are two particular themes that we find just in that passage in Exodus 33 when it's talking about glory. Again, the last sight that we see in Exodus is about glory. So what does that glory teach us? about God. In Exodus 33 verse 18 it says this, Moses said, please show me your glory. And then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before your name the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so there are two themes there. Two lessons that I want to unpack and teach as we close out Exodus. One is God's righteousness, God's goodness. The other is God's grace and God's mercy. Grace and mercy being one theme, righteousness, goodness being the other. First, let's deal with righteousness. In describing his glory in Exodus 33, God substitute substitutes Moses' appeal for glory with a commitment to show him goodness. Moses says, please show me your glory. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. In other words, part of the display of glory is a display of all that God is regarding goodness. And righteousness means to do good. It is the it is the quality of goodness. It is the quality of being good and doing good, being right and doing right, being just and doing justice. And so throughout our journey through Exodus, we've been, we've been able to establish that, that the God of the Bible, the God of Israel is in fact a God of righteousness. It is probably, it's probably only a few months after Israel is actually delivered from Egypt by God to worship God, that Israel is given a law by which they are to serve God with. And what are we to make of all of this? Why is God so committed to giving Israel so quickly a law? Well, there's a couple of things we can make from it. Number one, it means that he is exceedingly good and does exceedingly good. And his law is an opportunity to reflect that goodness and to reflect that righteousness and to reflect that justice, to reflect his own perfection. But it also highlights another very important uh, point, and it is this, that God calls his people to walk in righteousness. Immediately after they leave Israel, within months, they're given a law. Why? Why? Because God is calling his people to walk rightly before him. God unveils the uh, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 shortly after the deliverance of Israel. And later on, we learn that, that, or at least Jesus teaches us that the laws are not to be outwardly lived only, but to be inwardly lived. In other words, Jesus would say, when God says, do not commit murder, Jesus would say, well, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. Or Jesus would say, when God says do not commit adultery, Jesus will say if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. Well, Jesus and John, because John talks about the murder and hate, uh, hatred passage. And so we, we learn that this law that God is giving us is not just simply a law that is externally practiced, but it is a law that is internally realized and lived out. But Jesus would also teach us later on about the commandments, that they can be summarized in two commandments. Love God with everything. And love your neighbor like you love you. Now, before we hear of any of these laws in Exodus 20, we get this opening statement that is critical to the whole Ten Commandments. And we've worked through this over the past couple of months. God says in the very beginning of Exodus 20, before he gives them all of the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's important for us to pay attention to that and understand where God's giving of the law begins. God's giving of the law begins with this understanding. His establishing of a righteous standard for all of us begins with this understanding. I reign sovereignly over everything, including you. I am the Lord your God. I delivered you out of the house of slavery Therefore, now I'm calling you to a new standard of righteousness. I'm calling you to live like you've been freed by me. Does that make sense? God, in making a people his own, does not do so without calling that people to his righteousness. He does not make a people without calling those people to live according to his standards. In other words, God is not just simply removing Israel from Egypt. God's ultimate plan is to remove Egypt from Israel. Do you understand that? In other words, not just taking them out of a place, but taking the system and the way of doing things that they learned in that place out of them. In other words, foundational to his delivering of Israel from the bond of bondage of Egypt? Was his giving Israel a new standard by which to live? In Deuteronomy, Israel is preparing, the, uh, preparing to cross the river Jordan, and Moses is sharing his final messages with them. One of those messages we find actually in Deuteronomy chapter 10. In chapter 10 of Deuteronomy verse 12, Moses says this, and now Israel, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of the earth, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers, Choose their offspring, chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Again, you hear that defining of who God is becomes a sort of call to us regarding who we should actually be. Verse 16, or verse 14 through 16, God is declaring, I am sovereign in the heavens I am, I, I, he, he has mercifully, uh, mercifully set his love upon us. Therefore, circumcise your heart and no longer be stubborn. This is who I am, therefore, this is who you should be. You get that? Then again, he says it in verse 17 through 18, God is above all all other gods, and he judges fairly and judges impartially, and he executes justice for the overlooked in in, in all of the world, the fatherless, the orphan, the, the, the immigrant, the refugee. Therefore, because this is how I am and this is who I am, how should you be? You should love the immigrant and the refugee. You should fear and reverence God. You should serve and hold fast to God. In other words, God is always establishing the righteous standards that he is calling us to based on the righteousness within him. He's saying, this is who I am, so this is who you should be. Does that make sense? In other words, I want you to look like me. I want you to be able to reflect me to the world. And one of the clearest ways in which you are going to reflect me to the world is by living in accordance to my standards. You know, God's desire for this, God's desire for us to reflect his goodness should not be at all (laughs) shocking to us or surprising to us, especially if you've ever thought about mentoring, or if you've ever mentored, or if you've ever parented before. You see, any good parent yearns to teach their children some small understanding of what goodness is, and to hopefully and prayerfully shape their children with that goodness in order that they may grow up to reflect that goodness in the world. In fact, when when you think about it, to pursue true goodness is to also desire to see that goodness reflected in others, particularly those that belong to you. If there was a parent out there who was saying to themselves or who was saying to others, yeah, I mean, I, I, I try to pursue righteousness and I, I try to do good, but I don't really care if they do it. it. doesn't make me any difference. You would think that was a terrible parent, Right? What parent, what parent has a standard of goodness or a standard of righteousness and has no regard whether or not their children obey it and follow it? It would be crazy. And so therefore, it's only right and, and only good to us that we would hear God say, this is who I am. This is who I desire for you to be. This is who I am calling you to be. Because he is good, he desires for us to do good, which is why he so quickly calls Israel Immediate, immediately from deliverance to a standard of righteousness. Now, another thing to remember about God's standard of righteousness is that it goes beyond personal and individual standards to a corporate standard. In other words, much of the call to do righteousness and to do right is a call to do right by others and to do right towards others. God's righteousness is, is Without question, a call to individual and personal righteousness. It is, but it is also a call to corporate righteousness. I mean, I get it. You see it in numerous places in Scripture that that, that God calls us away. Let's take let's take for an individual and a personal. Let's take sexual ethics. God calls us away from the sexual ethics of the world and calls us into. A, a, a new type of thinking regarding sexuality. He calls us away from a sexual ethics in, in which I am to I am able to define um, or or to be defined by any sexual emotion that I feel. He calls us away from a sexual ethic that says that any emotion, sexual emotion that I feel, is right and good. And we see whole sections of Scripture dedicated to this. Deuteronomy chapter 22, Leviticus chapter 18, they, they call us to wrestle with any sexual desire that exists outside of the covenant between man and woman. And that standard is not given to the Christian as a club to, to beat anyone over the head with and mistreat and or devalue those who wrestle with those desires outside of that covenant or even those who do not agree with that conviction but that standard is given as a reminder to us that God is different. And thus, the goodness and righteousness that he calls us to will look different from the world's standard of goodness and righteousness. Even different to the point that it's going to cut against the very desires at work in your soul and the, in, in, in the very feelings at work in the core of who you are. So, yes... God's righteousness is individual, God's righteousness is personal, but notice the Ten Commandments. When we, when we think about the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, more than half of them are dedicated to how we treat others. Do not bear false witness or don't lie on others, especially when you're given the power to affect their livelihood. Do not kill others. Do not steal from others. Honor your mother and your father. These are commandments that are calling other people into your righteousness or your practice of righteousness. And also notice another thing, that some of God's greatest judgments in Scripture against a nation Come not just simply after a nation falls short of pursuing God's righteousness at an individual level. It comes not just simply after, you know, there's a bunch of guys that they're always drinking, drunk, drunk all the time, or sexual sin, or using ugly words, bad words. But it comes many times when the nation falls short of pursuing God's righteousness at a corporate level. Think about Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 1 verse 21 through 26. He says this, how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers lodge in her. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. God brings judgment, why? Why does he bring judgment? Because the leaders steal or the leaders are friends with those who steal. God brings judgment, why? Because bribery and greed is widespread throughout the land, while the orphans and the widows' needs go neglected. Therefore, God says, judgment is coming. Another place we find that is in Amos chapter 8, where in verse 4, God says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. Saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath, that that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah. Small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. What is God saying here? He's saying, Those who trample on the needy and offer no relief. Judgment is coming. Those who look for an opportunity to exploit and capitalize uh, on more wealth, even when you're supposed to be ensuring the support and the rest for others, judgment is coming. Those who mess and tamper with the value of money in order to maximize their profits and in order to keep the poor under their thumbs, judgment is coming. God says, I will not forget. Why? Because to God, the lack of regard for corporate justice among his people is not a trivial matter. Rather, the absence of regard for justice for the least among among his people and the least among us is seen as a lack of righteousness. Do you understand that? So it's not just personal, individual, but it is also how we treat one another, how we engage with those around us in which which righteousness is defined. This great call to righteousness is not only for the Old Testament believers, however, it's for the New Testament believers. Paul tells Timothy on multiple occasions to pursue righteousness. Timothy as Paul's understudy in the gospel He tells him in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 through 11, listen to this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, believe these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness gentleness so he says hey timothy the love of money can get you in trouble the love of greed and exploitation and and changing the values of the dollar all the things that we saw in amos are are rooted and grounded in the love of money and and paul says that love of money can get you in trouble so what do you do instead of pursuing that pursue righteousness in other words what is paul saying that righteousness is not just at an individual level, but righteousness is corporate, how we impact others, what we do to others, how we treat others. Paul says again in 2 Timothy chapter 21, I'm I'm sorry, chapter 2 verse 21, so flee youthful passions, I'm sorry, in verse 22, and pursue righteousness. Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness. This is the call and the charge that we've been given as people of God to be people that pursue righteousness. Even Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For they shall be satisfied. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, the same chapter, verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, because God is good, we should pursue goodness. Because God is righteous, we should pursue righteousness. Because God is holy, we should pursue holiness. May it never be said that that Jesus paid it all for me, and so I pursue none of these things because he paid it all. No, it's precisely because of who God is that I pursue these things. Does that make sense? Now, all of these are not popular concepts in our day and in our culture, but we have not been delivered for popularity. We have been delivered for worship. And part of our worship is to reflect our God and to reflect the righteousness in which he he has called us to reflect. We belong to God so we are called to reflect who he is in this world. But, 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 you and I know we will never do this perfectly. Our reflection, if somebody, if somebody is recording this message, they've gotten to this point, the 22-minute 20, the mark, and they're thinking to themselves, this dude is preaching false gospel. No, please, please continue to listen. We will not do this perfectly. Our reflection is infinitely foggy and wholly insufficient. We do not reflect God perfectly. Even, even, even we hear Isaiah tell us that, that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. They are filthy even on our best days. They are filthy or even our best deeds are filthy. Because our allegiance to God is always tinted with sin. We are never in this life perfectly aligned with our God. Does that make sense to you? Paul says this. He summarizes this dilemma in Romans chapter 3. He says, beginning at verse 10, none is righteous. None is righteous. Pursue righteousness? None of us are ever going to get it. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Pursue goodness, Paul says in verse 12, no one does good. Not even one. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Pursue righteousness, but there is none that are are righteous. Pursue goodness, but there is no one that does good. So Paul, what are we to do? That's my second and final point for the last 10 minutes. We turn to God's mercy. We turn to God's mercy. Remember, back, at the, back to our passage in Exodus chapter 33, God said, Moses said, show me your glory. 33 and 19, or 33 and 18. God says, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. In other words, in God's glory, the glory that is resting and filling, or the glory that is filling the tabernacle at the, end, at the conclusion of Exodus, in that glory is God's goodness. But also in that glory. Verse 19 of chapter 33 when he says, I'm gonna make my goodness pass before you and then I'm gonna preach. I'm gonna proclaim my name, God says. And he says in his proclamation, the Lord, I'm sorry, he's gonna proclaim his name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Moses asked for glory. God gave him goodness, grace and mercy because in that glory is goodness and goodness and grace and mercy perfected in that glory is goodness and grace and mercy in its fullest expression in other words my glory is not only tied to my goodness perfected my glory is tied to my mercy And we see that all through our scripture for Israel. Israel over and over and over again shows themselves to be unrighteous despite the call to be righteous. And God shows himself over and over and over again to be merciful. One such instance we find is in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9 Moses, again, is preaching some of his final messages to Israel. He says this to them. He says, here, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Now, therefore, today... That he, um, I'm sorry, know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Now listen, listen to this. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people, not your righteousness. Pursue righteousness, pursue to do right. Pursue to do good in this world. Pursue to do justice in the areas in which God has called you to do justice. Pursue to treat your neighbors right. Pursue to flee youthful passions. Pursue to flee sexual immorality. Pursue to flee drunkenness. Pursue to flee lack of self-control in your life. Well, you can't control how much internet time and how much social media time. Pursue to flee those things. Pursue righteousness, but never think for one second that what you've been given in life is a product of your righteousness, primarily. What you have is not due to your righteousness. What you have is due to the overwhelming mercy and grace of God. Pursue it. Pursue to love your spouse as Christ loved the church. Pursue it. Pursue to humbly listen and, hum- and humbly hear the voice of your husband when he speaks and when he seeks to try to lead lovingly and gently in your home. Pursue that. But never think that what you've been given is a result of your righteousness. What you've been given is a result of God's. There's an old song by the Mississippi Mass Choir. It used to go like this, your grace and mercy brought me through. I'm here in this moment because of you. I want to praise you and thank you too for your grace and mercy brought me through. Not because I did a whole bunch of good things and I was a really, really great guy, but because of your grace and your mercy, I'm here. In fact, God get, Moses preaches this sermon to Israel and tells Israel, hey, listen, the only reason you're here is because of God's mercy. God's mercy. Because God's grace, because God is righteous and he will pursue to fulfill his promises no matter how we pursue to not honor uh, the covenant in which we have uh, have established with him. He's going to pursue it regardless. But now, now, Moses says, go forth. Go forth and do honor the promise. Go forth and Pursue righteousness. Go forth and, 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 and obey God. And God is going to honor that by doing what? By, by blessing you if you go forth and obey. That's what he says later on in, in Deuteronomy. Anybody want to guess if Israel did that? No, they didn't do it. They never did it. We never do it. So, The call to pursue remains, yes, pursue, but recognize that we are still in a dilemma because we can't do what God is asking us to do. Not perfectly, not consistently. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, the answer is actually in Romans chapter 3. In that same passage where Paul is telling us that none of us do good. He says this in verse 21. But the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, and the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus what do we hear? Pursue righteousness, but none of us do righteous. Pursue good, but none of us do good. But thanks be to God that the righteousness of God that we so desperately need has come apart from what we can do. It has come beyond what we can do, and it has come in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fulfills the law in a way that we never could fulfill it. Jesus Christ not only pursues righteousness, but he embodies righteousness. And he does righteousness wholly and completely and perfectly. Jesus Christ himself is sinless, and we are sinful no matter how much we pursue righteousness. This is the reason that God sends Christ Jesus. Jesus because he sends righteousness for people that he's called to be righteous, but he knows they can't be apart from him. So in Christ, we are given righteousness, but in Christ, we are also given the motivation to do right. So we don't cease to do right just because we can attain righteousness. We pursue righteousness because of the one, because of the because of the one's righteousness that we are standing in. Does that make sense? And so, saints of God, yes, our God is righteous, but our God is exceedingly merciful. And out of that abundance of mercy, he has given us righteousness in the form of his son. And so he calls you to righteousness but he also calls you to realize that it is not that righteousness that gets you entry into the kingdom of God, but it is the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, lean and rest in that righteousness that you have attained by faith. Don't turn to your own righteousness for salvation. Turn to the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus for your salvation and let that righteousness motivate you and drive you to do right in this world. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you so much for